0: Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Social media is a, a provocation and in a way seeks to make us think about the way that Andy Warhol used photography in his practice in a way that in brought in into his orbit the work of other artists who were photographers as well. And so in this exhibition. Julie Robinson, the senior curator, has curated an exhibition that has many plots and subplots and those tell the story of Warhol and this relationship to photography and his many key collaborators, which is over 20. And I'm giving the talk today in this gallery because I wanted to focus on a few of those relationships and to think, some of the ways in which his uh, use of photography and his collaborations with these key members of his circle really worked in different ways, and build a picture of him as a artist that is very complex and um, and which, to my mind, seems very fresh today, all these years later after the works were made. So startled, in fact, by how prescient the ideas are in his work and how his way of working foreshadowed uh, the ways in which many artists work today. So these works, which date from the 1960s, really provide a very fascinating um, genesis to many of the methodologies which we take for granted today in contemporary art. And Andy Warhol, as we know, is this giant, a giant of pop art, an artist who was born in uh, the 1920s, who went on to define the cultural scene and who, through the power of his work and personality, and really cult of his personality, was able to imprint Become immensely influential. And walking through the exhibition, you know, we're really fortunate to have two incredible suites of photographs by Andy Warhol, and they form the center of the exhibition. But around the exhibition, interl- interspersed throughout it, you find the work of many other photographers. And I'm going to start today by talking about close collaboration and association with Billy Name, and the exhibition really opens with Billy Name's photographs here on this wall. And in some ways I'm going to speak today about three artists, Billy Name, Nat Finkelstein and Bridget Berlin, and they were three key figures who were part of the um, anti-Warhol circle and worked at the factory, and Contribution to how we think of the artistic milieu of the factory and Andy Warhol's artistic practice has really been shaped by the visual language of those photographs. And Billy Name, whose work you see behind me here, Warhol met him in the early 1960s when uh, Billy was working as a waiter at Serendipity 3, which was a cafe dessert bar that uh, Warhol used to go to and had frequented since the mid-50s when he used to make artist books in this cafe and he'd host these colouring in parties and invite his friends to come and all do some colouring and um, Billy was a waiter there but also was um, a lighting designer in the theatre and really immersed in the cultural scene that included performance and art. must have made quite a powerful impression on Warhol, and I really love this one quote of Warhol's kind of assessment of um, Billy, and he said of why he appealed to him. Billy was different from all the other people on speed, because he had a manner that inspired confidence. He was quiet, things were always very proper with him, and you felt like you could trust him to keep everything in line including all his strange friends. So this kind of aspect of propriety, which obviously was very important to Warhol, as an important element to the totally crazy and and drug-fuelled scene that he was also creating. So this sort of both the ability to be decorous and uh, make sure things didn't get too crazy, and then also supporting and loving the exuberance and, Creative thrill of people being uninhibited, of um, both these kind of um, poles that existed in the, the space that Warhol created at the factory. And he loved, I think he really loved uh, Billy Name's composure, his competence, and he involved him very quickly um, at the factory to be a kind of manager, so manager of everything, everyday events after the lighting of the space he had noticed that um, Billy himself had a loft that was covered in alfoil and silver spray paint and he asked Billy to do the same for him when he, um, he moved into his own studio and so Billy was the one that had silvered out that space for him and when Billy if you read his accounts of what it was like to do that, he described that process as a sculpture, a work of art. And he also um, was quite taken with the way that uh, Billy would host these haircutting parties and uh, Billy was the son of a barber and there would be hundreds of people that would come to these haircutting parties and in 1963, I think it was, uh, Warhol made a film called Haircut and it shows Billy and three other men in a very sort of working on a haircut, although you don't actually see any hair being cut, but you do see men slowly undressing for the camera. And that film is on display here in this exhibition. And it kind of underlines the kind of intimacy of uh, those activities, the shared space of the factory and the shared space of the filmmaking, but also that Billy, as I say, was a, a figure that really influenced Warhol. And his influence was also felt in um, even his demeanour, the way he spoke. And he, Warhol credited Billy with giving him the idea of how to be very uh, non, non-committal in his answers when he was interviewed. And this aspect of just being able to um, just give an open, very um, seemingly very um, profound answer when... Um, wasn't even answering the question at all. So, Bill, Billy Name also was the key photographer at the studio, and um, Warhol was, as I said, very in, interested in photography, but he had very little patience for the technical aspects of photography, and just handed the camera to to Billy and asked him to take those the photographs. And so, he took this thirty five mm S- SLR camera and read the instructions and became the photographer and he made he took thousands of photographs. He didn't use a flash and his very kind of grainy black and white images he photographed every day all day in the space and because he was one of the key insiders really the one that was there every day in fact he lived at the factory he was like a he was described as a, a family photographer and trusted. And so this aspect of the intimacy for those photographs is really there in his um, portraits of Warhol, in his portraits of the other um, studio assistants, and in his documentation of the way that the Velvet Underground was practising or working in the space and other visitors who came. And those photographs then who would supply them to newspapers, magazines and other publishers to create the name, the Warhol brand. And he didn't publish the the photographs under Billy's name's name. They were factory photo. So, And if you have a look at um, a very important catalogue from 1968 of Warhol's first major retrospective, of modern art in Sweden. It's an amazing catalogue. It's just a thick brick of black and white photos, and many of them are of By Billy Name, and it's the factory world. But it's not Billy's name, although he was Billy Name. So that's funny. It's kind of a, um, and this aspect of, um, of how an artist, you know, Billy Name considered himself an artist, and he was absolutely integral. Of Warhol's world, um, and yet, how was he acknowledged? And so that kind of tension that exists between uh, the between Warhol and the way that he was collaborating and acknowledging the work of other people is one of the defining features, really, of of the scene. It sort of in, it is also evident, I think, in the work of Nat Finkelstein, who was a more, who was an older photographer, and also entered the scene and documented the factory at Warhol's invitation. And Nat Finkelstein's photographs are also on the display here, and you can see on the wall here next to the Elvis, this absolutely fantastic large-scale photograph of Warhol, the Elvis, the green print, and Bob Dylan in the factory. And I find Nat Finkelstein a fascinating figure as well. He had been an experienced photojournalist and had documented the kind of social change in America in the 60s and had had his photographs published in Life magazine. He was really a serious photojournalist at a time when that role was absolutely integral to the publications of the time. And he he asked to, to hang out with Warhol at the over a space of two to three years, 12,000 photographs. And so he was there documenting, again, obsessively every day. And his photographs were really also very beautiful. So beautiful black and white photographs. Really, uh, he photographed, in a sense, So with an awareness of photographing a social scene that was significant historically and socially and with a sense of its importance, uh, maybe not enamoured of that scene. So not necessarily enamoured. Not an insider like Billy Name, not someone who was making the work, but someone who was documenting it. And this aspect of the documentation adds a coolness, a distance, and there is a kind of uh, almost critique in his work. And he, in quotes later, is often very harsh towards Andy Warhol. I'll read one quote from him. He said, of his years with Warhol between 65 and 1967, it was a great party, a speed freak's dream, the great American Fantasia, full of fun, frolic and forget-me-nots. Some of the guests left in limousines, some in ambulances, others never found the door. So this kind of you know, crazy scene, I think he was quite critical of it and one of the reasons was because he, he found it apolitical and he was himself very radical in, uh, and associated with the left wing. And I think he had also a sense of himself as an as a important figure. And I guess this kind of aspect of having a sense of self as an important figure, you can see there is an element of tension that then occurs in the relationship with Warhol. And that tension, I think, was expressed when they were working together on Andy Warhol's uh, index book, is a terrific pop-up book and this was Warhol's idea he wanted to make like a, a book for adults using the style of a children's book and it had you know a lot of photography by Billy Name and also Finkelstein and I think um, Finkelstein did want to have an acknowledgement of his work as an art director on this book and Warhol refused to give it and so they this aspect of the um, acknowledgement as I say it was a, a real sticking point and I think that what I find fascinating is that that tension doesn't seem to exist in Warhol's collaboration with Bridget Berlin and her work you can see further into the gallery when you are close to the Bridget Berlin who was also known as Bridget Polk and she was a similar age to Andy and but of very different background so a couple of things to say about her um, the more I read about her and watched clips of her on YouTube, the more that I saw her images of her work or read about her performances, I just thought what an absolute genius like she just was so used to call herself an artist at the time that she was collaborating with Warhol and so I think there's this element of the subjugation if you like that befitted the dynamic between them that led to their ability to have an incredibly close relationship over two decades and she entered his world She was introduced to Warhol by Henry Galtzala, who was the curator of contemporary art at the Met, um, at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And Henry Galtzala was a pivotal figure in the scene, recognised Warhol's brilliance, and advocated for him often. And he introduced Bridget Berlin. And Berlin was a uh, the daughter of, Was a very well-known socialite, and so she was from the very upper echelons of society, and that was a society that obviously Warhol was fascinated by, as a as an immigrant and as someone who was deeply interested in power. And there was Berlin, who occupied this world, and um, whose father was you know on talking terms with American presidents and. Etc. So she was very unselfconscious about growing up in this milieu and um, very rebellious. And so her rebellion really found its expression in her refusal to um, lose weight, for example. So her mother put a great deal of pressure on her to be thin and she refused to be thin. And she was wild, uninhibited and often photographed at the factory And so she pushed very hard against the the upbringing that she'd had and the kind of propriety and decorum that her parents really insisted that she have, especially in their public roles. And she found a home for herself at the factory and a really incredibly close bond with Warhol. And I would say she was one of the most influential artists, even though she... And her influence is felt, for example, in her obsessive self-documentation. So she was the one, really, from 1968 onwards, who always kept She also carried the clunky recorder and she recorded thousands of hours of conversation at the factory. So her obsessive documentation was then used as material for books that uh, Warhol published. were about bodily issues. So they talked through medical appointments and how they were feeling physically. So what's you know interesting to me about Bridget Berlin is that she was an obsessive documenter and you know obviously that's very recognizable today to us in the way that people use social media. She was a performance artist as well. And her and Andy would perform in plays and she would as a husband and wife, and she often record. She often rang people during her performances without them knowing, and would play the conversation to the audience in the room at the theatre, including her mother or you know someone else. And you know she was very outrageous, and her idea. Around of privacy and so she also did some amazing prints and her print work was based on for example scars so she would ask people to um, ink up a scar on their body and she would make take the imprint of it and then she would ask them to write how they got that scar and she published that in a book and make prints of her breasts and she did that all through the 60s and 70s and even into the 90s and exhibited those. Also, I think it was in 1970 she had an exhibition in Germany at Kern at a really respected gallery and the gallerist who went on to then found the Dia Foundation in New York, he showed conceptual art and the leading conceptual artists her an exhibition of her Polaroids and audio cassettes. So she was recognised by her fellow um, artists and gallerists, um, like Cy Twombly or Robert Rauschenberg. She was really respected as an artist. However, as I say, she didn't identify as an artist at the time and would never claim that space. And maybe it was the the fact she didn't claim that space that meant that she could she answered the phones at the factory 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, and when she wasn't answering the phones, she was knitting. So she was knitting like a vast amount of work and then became, you know, obsessed with making making needlepoint embroidery. And the subject of her needlepoint embroidery were the tabloids. she was really, as I say, respected and after Warhol's death in 1987 and her own mother's death just a few months after, she then took on this like persona of the uh, Republican heiress and really presented herself with this like incredibly coiffed hairdo, really mimicking her own mother's um, appearance. So yeah, she just the fact that um, she could offer him uh, an entree into a milieu of of course of this sort of upper um, echelons but if you ever watch the Chelsea girls you know she's a star figure in that and her incredible charisma her inhibition the fact that she was known as Bridget Polk specifically because she would give people amphetamine injections and in that film that is what she demonstrates how she does it she had this incredible uh, wryness and, um, I guess, real, like, beauty. And the beauty of her was this um, incredible power of unself unselfconsciousness. Um, and without grasping, really, for fame and this kind of issue of fame, of, you know, Warhol surrounded by people who wanted to be his superstars, who were interested in him. Thought that, and uh, maybe that's what made her so attractive. There are some observations really on Warhol as um, in his some key relationships, and you know if you take time to look through the exhibition, we were very fortunate to have th- three terrific um, curatorial researchers who worked with us: Kate Jordan Moore, Meg Apsey and Heather Pierce who um, did a great deal of research alongside um, Julie Robinson. And though that research really informed. and